You're listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jean and Lisa Michelle, the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals. Hello, hello, folks. Hey, guys. So this is our 25th episode, which is super exciting. Wanted to bring you something fun, so we decided to do our listener questions, which you all submitted on Instagram, and even our production team sent in some questions, so they joined in the fun too, which was awesome. So there's really no background; this is just for fun. Um, <laughs> so we could just can jump in with the questions. So our first question is coming from Live Enjoy. She submitted two questions. The first is. During grad school, how did you handle work-life school balance? Um, so, Michelle, you want to start off with that? No, because Clay has left the door open. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Okay. Yes. Um, for me, and this is something we've addressed in previous episodes, but learning to give yourself grace um, and then learning to give yourself the room to learn. I was very hard on myself when it came to to like work in school that I felt that if I wasn't studying or doing, you know, work or counseling internship related things, um, then I wasn't doing enough. Mm -hmm. And so that took from my personal life, Mm -hmm. which you need, you need a personal life. You need to not be studying. You need to not be counseling people. Right. Um, (laughs) So I would say giving yourself grace to, take the room to learn, but take the room to not learn. Um, Set those boundaries um, and and allow yourself to do what you need in each of those places. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all of those things, especially those boundaries, people. We cannot say that enough. I know we say it all the time and I'm going to continue to say it. (laughs) But those boundaries boundaries (laughs) make a difference. But also, you know, you write about giving yourself grace too, because I think, I don't want to say, you know, we all our own worst critic, but that's the saying, right? I mean, (laughs) for the most part, people tend to be hardest on themselves. And I am, I'm very hard on myself. Um, Not in the same way as you, Michelle, but I'm not as extreme as a as a perfectionist, but I do have ridiculously high standards for myself. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that gets in the way. That can get in the way with school and that can get in the way with work. Um and it can get in the way of relationships. Um yes. you know, professional and personal, all all Absolutely. across the board. But I had to do that as well. I had to give myself grace. Um, and I'm not that bad, but I do have a problem lowering my standards um, yeah. <laughs> for my and own performance. You yes. know? So I've had to give myself grace in that manner, but I'm pretty lenient with like making sure I'm giving myself. Well, that's not true. In grad school, I would find that I think I said on maybe on our self-care episode that if I don't give myself free time, then I steal time from myself. Um, Mm. And I did that a lot in grad school as well. Um, Yeah. But I did learn to give myself some freedom um, and some wiggle room. So I think all of those are good. Yeah. The last thing I would say is to communicate to your support system where you are and what's going on. Um, Aisha, I wouldn't have, I don't know what I would have been like had I not had you <laughs> in grad school. 
wonderful. Um, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, learning to let them know what your needs are and just where you are, whether yeah. it's you're incredibly overworked or stressed or sad or angry, yeah. share that with someone. You know, I had a really good support system in grad school and I know that not everyone does, but I also had to learn to let them in on mm-hmm. my life because I tend to not do that. <laughs> I tend to not share those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good one. And one thing that I'll put out there is in grad school, um, you know, any grad school, so be it master's level, doctoral level, whatever, sometimes you have to change your support system. Oh, um, yes. Or you have to find your actual support system. And I, and I wanted to make that a point because um, absolutely that was the case for me. And that was when, <laughs> lucky for me, I'm pretty serious about my boundaries. <laughs> But people got mad at me for that. People people had a hard time with one me being an adult, um, two me mm-hmm. me having my own life and not being not being willing to drop everything for them. And people had trouble with that. And they also had trouble with me deciding who I was gonna spend time with. And I think that's really important because I made those choices based on what I needed so that I could be okay. Because work in school and personal life is a lot you know we all have it but yes. it's still a lot and so I needed that I needed to choose the right people and I did I did a pretty good job of choosing the right people to keep around <laughs> but that was because I made that conscious effort and and I think that I hope that's helpful to you if that's a, something you're having trouble making the decision on is how to, to change that. Do it. If you need to change that support system, absolutely do it. Absolutely do it. So that's that question. You want to go up to the next one? Yes. Um, question two, also from Live and Joy. How did you deal with not being in the same place career-wise as your friends from high school or college during grad school? Yeah, for me, (laughs) I had to, there were a lot of behaviors I had to stop. And one of them is comparing myself. Um, I had to stop looking at social media all the time. Um, There was a quote that I was told a few years ago, and it became very much uh, something to cling to during grad school, um, was that comparison is the thief of joy. And so if Mm -hmm. you're out there watching all the people who you think are just ridiculously more successful your joy, the joy of the passion you're pursuing is going to be robbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that some of that is in your control. Some of that is you have to stop um, looking at social media. Stop bringing up work when you go out places. You know, if you're out with friends, don't bring it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just let, like, talk about other things. Yeah, so for me... I have been blessed in my life to not compare myself to others. That's not something that I that I've ever really done, which is truly a blessing and I know that that's something that tons of people struggle with. Here's yeah. where it bites me. <laughs> I don't compare myself to other people, but I stay in my head a lot. Oh. Um my my problem is I judge myself. I don't get mm-hmm. I don't I don't even get to other people's judgment because I judge myself. <laughs> so I, I internalize. Um and I didn't realize that was internalizing, but <laughs> per supervision <laughs> I did learn that and that's something that um that I like I said I still struggle with that because I I, I have trouble lowering my standards for myself. Um right. but 
my point in saying that is, you know, you may be on either side of that, you know, so um, mm-hmm. even though it's not a comparison, it's still being hard on yourself, right? You still got to give yourself that room um, yeah. to not, or to accept what is, is a better way to say that. That's what I want to say, to I accept like what is. That's what I want to say. And And just to note, the struggle of comparing yourself or, oh, they're more successful or they're in the higher up position or what have you, that doesn't go away when you graduate. Um, right. <laughs> you're you're going to continue to be moving the line. Oh, well, when I get to this, when I get through with this, when I get my license, when I get certified mm-hmm. in X, that's going to continue. Um, right. And different jobs, different careers take different amounts of time and take different training right. levels. So just it's it's one of those things where you really do have to stay in your lane, put the mm-hmm. blinders on and just go after it. Um, and then you can look around later and realize where you are, where you've been, what's been going on. Right. And I think it's a really good question too. And hopefully people find that useful because at least on, on the counseling side, counseling is one of those master's degrees that takes more time than most. Uh, n- not exactly more time, but it can be longer than, than, um, a lot of other master's degrees. Um, right. Right. And so, you know, like Michelle said, you can be, um, 24 and, and still be, I, yeah, I think I finished, um, on my, like a couple of days before my 25th birthday. So, <laughs> so Aww. both of us were 24 when we finished. But yeah, so I think that that looks different and you just have to be okay with that because that's your path, you know. So the next question is from CJ Nola. How much does weather, (laughs) weather, (laughs) how much does weather have an effect on mental health? This is a super fun question. I guess we can't really give you a how much, but a simple yes or no will suffice, I guess. Um, <laughs> yes, it does affect it. And if you think about it, just like like in the simplest of terms, like think about how you feel on a sunny, breezy, beautiful day versus how you feel on a rainy day, right? So yes, it does have an effect, but they also have actual um, diagnoses, right? There's seasonal affective disorder. You may have heard the term sad. Um, you know, <laughs> people say it like that. You know, <laughs> I have sad. <laughs> you might have heard that being made fun of on TV or on um, movies and things like that somewhere in the media. Even though it's not only weather, this is going to encompass a little more, but seasons and environments often alter your routine and opportunities to do things or to, to be with certain people or certain activities. So mm-hmm. that can affect your mental health as well. You yeah, know, some that's people, a great point. Some people don't thrive when, when the routine has been altered. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't thrive when there's no community. You know, if you're in um, a lot of snow heavy areas, you can't get to other people or other things. Mm-hmm. So some of those seasons and again, weather and the environment it can alter your being, which is part of your mental health, mm-hmm. because of, of just how it is. And it's, right. it's one of those things where you have to know ahead of time how to prepare for that season. Right. Absolutely. And I think we just talked about that right on the um, education episode that people 
struggle outside of their routines. Like, you know, you oh, kids, yeah. um, students crave routines, but so do adults. You know, we, we try to pretend right. like we don't like it or like we don't need it, but you absolutely do need it. <laughs> we all struggle when our routine is thrown off. So the next question is, is there a specific field for counseling student athletes and or coaches? So, so I want to take this more broad. So when we, when we say mental health, right, or when we say stuff like counseling, what we really mean is like the general combination of the fields of psychology, psychiatry, mental health counseling, and um, social work, right? All of those things together are separated fields that shouldn't be separated. <laughs> um, and my point in saying that is, of course, most people have heard of like sports psychology, right? But also, once you move up to a certain level in your career as a psychologist, psychiatrist, um, licensed professional counselor, or social worker, um, or a licensed social worker, you you have the opportunity to make your own areas. So mm, it's not so much about whether there's a specific job for people to do counseling for student athletes or coaches, but whether people choose to, to specifically work with student athletes or coaches. I, I agree. And I love that. Um, specifically for counseling, I think there should be, there should be a person on staff in some of these big arenas, you know, in right, college right. athletics, you know, you think about how many athletes are in need of mental health treatment or mm-hmm. just someone to listen to you. And they them. typically do have an athletic social worker, though. Which, do you think, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think, like, what in your mind would be enough support team for that? Like, how much would you say, like, one social worker per how many student athletes? or um, And a counselor or whoever? You know me. I'm I'm all about everybody using all of their resources. So I think that they should have right. everybody. They should have, um, <laughs> they should have a, a social worker, a counselor, a psychologist. They should have everybody, and they should all be working together. Um, yeah. So there's that. I think that they should have. I I don't think that the sports should have to share the team. Um, that is a great point. I think that um and you know they don't have to have a team for each sport but they shouldn't be one team for all for of the sports, entire universe you know right well <laughs> right um i don't know how many i would put on it but i'm honestly i might cap it like 20 um and i know yeah. that that's wishful thinking but you right. also have to think about um you also have to think about the nature of sports programs especially the money-making sports programs in school right so student athletes can have I mean they got full days like they they up from sun up to sundown you know they got they got uh morning practice they got morning meetings they got class throughout the day they got tutoring um they got they got afternoon meetings you know they have actual practice so you know they they have to uh eat at a scheduled time like they have all of this stuff to do all in the same all in one day and whoever is a part of the team is likely there too so to be limited to 
20, 25 student athletes, I think that that's important. And also, I'm I'm not on board with large case loads anyway. I don't care if that's how the world works right now. So what? It's wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't give your best to 60 clients. You know, you just can't do it. No matter how big your team is or how supportive your team is, you just can't do it. You can't give your best to that many people. Um, yeah. And so I, I do, I'm absolutely in favor of smaller caseloads because there's enough people. We got enough students coming out of grad school. We got enough people looking for internships. We got enough up and coming professionals looking for jobs. There's room to hire these people, right? And give people the best treatment. So I'm on board for smaller caseloads. But I would definitely say that, yeah, definitely. Like even if they could limit it to 25, I I would say definitely. I love that. I and, agree. And then also, you know, supporting the coaches, too, because because we kind of left them out of the question. We kind of left them out of the question. But I think that's a, a, a super important factor, you know. OK, the next question is, do we underestimate the effect of natural disasters on our mental health? And is there a way to change our mentality on seeking counseling after such events? So, yes and yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so I went through Katrina, right? I was, um, directly affected by Katrina and I was still in high school and the number of people that have not mentally recovered from that, Mm -hmm. um, just that, that I know in my life alone, um, (laughs) is insane right but to take that on a larger scale i mean if you think about like the question is do we underestimate the effects of it right think about all of the katrina jokes you hear right think Mm -hmm. about all of the comparisons of katrina that you hear right just that alone is underestimating the effects of it right why do you need to compare it Think about all of the lives that that were lost as a result of Hurricane Katrina. Why would you think that that's something that you're supposed to compare, right? But people do it every day. I cannot tell you in high school, and remember, I was displaced. So me and my friends and and family members and all of us who were who were all over the country, right? The number of people who would say things to us like. Why don't you go back back um to the water? Uh, you know, um, your your socks still wet, and y'all should still be standing on the roof, and we don't want y'all here. I mean, just ridiculously nasty stuff. Mind you, it's high school, right? And people are nasty. That's cool. That's right? trash. <laughs> but, That's actual trash. But it wasn't just the the kids though. That's the problem. So the adults were this sucky too. <laughs> oh, I had them in right. mind. Don't worry. <laughs> So my point is, absolutely, it's underestimated. And I think when you're surrounded by one, you have to go through it, right? And remember, before Katrina, I want to say it was like the one, the biggest hurricane before Katrina. No, wait, if I remember right, there was like a tsunami that happened um, before Katrina, and which was on the other side of the world from us. Right. So, but we was the first ones with Katrina, like in that area. Right. 
So it was the yeah. first ones to deal with that. So it was traumatic. It was unprecedented, right? Then you have people being nasty to you about something that you had no control over, right? You may or may not have been displaced and you may or may not have been displaced with people you knew, right? So I had cousins who were actually like minor cousins who were separated from their parents. So, uh, (laughs) so, you know, the government didn't actually help in that regard so think about all of that all of that trauma together and then you're surrounded by people who are telling you you're not good enough you shouldn't be there they don't want you there you don't want to be there either because you you want to be at home right right (laughs) you want to be at home but imagine trying to face that right with those people saying those things to you you don't think that it makes sense to reach out for help. Absolutely not. And so my point is, it's us. You know, we have to treat each other better. <laughs> we have to treat yes. each other better. But people, like I said, so many people I know did not reach out for help. But that's because they didn't know no better. You know, they didn't yeah. know that they should have reached out for help because people kept telling them how awful they was. Right. Yeah. They thought that they did one, they were all they had, but they didn't know that there was anywhere to reach out to help, you know, uh, to reach out for help. So I would like to think that we can change the mentality of seeking help. And I, I to be quite frank, that I mean, that was 15 years ago. And I really feel like it's easier now. I feel like in, in 2020, people are saying stuff like these people need help. You know, people yeah, will need help. I agree. So I feel like the, the mentality has changed some, but I do think that um, it's still greatly underestimated. I do think that the words sound cute and they're not really melt, met with a lot of substance. Yeah, I think that's all I got. That was a lot, but I think that's what I got. <laughs> no, I love it. And that, that's, you know, thank you for sharing that and being honest because it, I think you're right. I think you're right on, yeah, there are people who have not recovered. Um, one thing I would say is, you know, in 2020, yes, I think you're right. It is a little easier to address things and encourage people to get help and offer help and mental health and mental aware, mental health awareness mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and all of those lovely things. I think sometimes we don't, we, we make the word victim so negative. Like, mm-hmm. if, you know, I get it. And I know there are studies and people talk about this. I heard somebody talk about it the other day. Oh, if you have a victim mentality, you're going to, um, you know, have more issues and psychological issues and all that. That's fine. Sometimes you're an actual victim. Um, right. And it's and fine it's to not be a the mentality. victim. Sometimes it's a situation when you lost your home. Like my sister lost her home in Katrina. Like she was a victim because she literally was homeless. Right. Right. Because her entire house was gone. Like that's not she. And if she had come back and said, oh, I don't want victim mentality. I would have been like, girl, you just lost your house. It's completely fine for you to be the victim here because you're a victim and that's okay. Right. And instead of forcing. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I I, I want to paint this picture for you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there for just a minute. Okay. So, if anybody's ever been to New Orleans, right, you can see the difference pre Katrina and post Katrina, right? Most people will okay. say that it's not nearly the same. So think about losing your home, right, and being homeless during the effects of Katrina. Mm-hmm. 
But if it's never the same, then do you actually get a home back? So think about how that leaves this feeling of eternal homelessness. I just want people to think about that. Like, like think about the weight of that. Lots of people have homes that they can go back to, right? Lots of yeah. people have places where they can return and they can feel like, oh, this is so great. You know, I, I grew up here and I did this. And, you know, um, I used to, the, the ice cream man used to come right here. And, you know, <laughs> you know, but think about, about, being in a state of eternal homelessness and never being able to go back to a place and say this this is home this is home right mm. because it, it's not that no more that's a weight yes such a weight but thank you for doing that like for for putting yourself out there because that's part of it and that's right. part of when, you know, when we think about, um, is there a way to change the mentality? Accepting the weight of it is one of right. the first steps in order to change the mentality. Because you're not going to change it if you don't get it. Right. And also, it, if it's not yours to get, then why do you mm. need to minimize it? You know, like, mm. I, I, fi- I feel like that happens quite often. P- the rules change for people when it when it's them in a situation. But Why? Why does it need, why do you need to give me rules for my situation? But then when it's yours, everything has to change. <laughs> and I understand that that's people, right? <laughs> it is, but it's it not is, great. But, it's not our finest moment. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can move on to the next question. This last question is from Miss Green 313504. She asks, I see a lot of people on YouTube talk about self-care, but does it really help you mentally or is it only in certain aspects and is self-care the correct term to use? All right. Well, we had a whole episode on self-care. So which one of us do you want to go first? <laughs> you and me, Michelle. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be brief. Um, we had a whole episode on it. So one of the things we talked about is that it is incredibly helpful, but it's got to be when practiced the right way. Um, yes. Not everything that is necessarily being called self-care is self-care. And, and mm-hmm. I think she's pointing out something good is that you see it a lot on YouTube and a lot of steps and a lot of uh, methods of self-care and different stuff on YouTube. But you have to be careful because not all of that is actually self-care. A mm-hmm. lot of that is just hobbies or uh, beauty tips. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Why is uh, it always uh, like a uh, relaxation? <laughs> Putting on like a charcoal mask is self care. Right. It's like, well, no, it's not completely right. <laughs> right. So it is. It's so helpful. It's so impactful. But it has to be actual self care. Which yes, right. that's the right term. Right. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And one, go back and listen to the self care episode. But two, <laughs> two, I think the. What you'll get when you hear the self-care episode is that it has a lot to do with balance. Um, mm, yes. And and that balance is what makes the difference that creates a state of mental wellness, right? That balance is the difference. Um, again, it's not just about um, 
you know, your beauty routine or your nighttime routine or, um, <laughs> or your, your, uh, your weight loss journey, you know, all of those things are, are um, important. And I would even venture to say equally important. Um, Absolutely. But those are not the only things that make you well. You know, we, we talked about boundaries. Um, I think when we were answering Liv and Joy's question about work, school, life balance, well, that's a part of your self-care, you know, relationships are a part of your self-care. Um, so balance and, you know, you don't get there overnight and you definitely don't get there solely by watching YouTube. Um, but I don't, I don't mean that to be an insult or a slight to anybody, but, but my point is it takes time. Self-care is about yourself, right? And it's about caring about the whole you. So, so there's balance there and that's what makes the difference. I love it. So this last section is things we wish we had known. And we just, after going through some of these questions and, and talking about it, we kind of thought it would be hopefully helpful to kind of share something that we've learned in this journey ourselves. You first. You want me to go? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For me, I would say that not every next step in the path comes directly after the previous one. Um, sometimes there are gaps. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are situations that delay some of those uh, mm-hmm. next steps. Absolutely. You know, I think it's really easy to get in, in the mindset, especially during grad school, because it's, if you're like me, it's competitive and you want to show your professors how great of a counselor you're going to be. Mm-hmm. So they will, uh, supervise you or write you recommendation letters. Right. Um, and you want to hustle and get all of these internships and all of these resumes out to everybody in town, which is fine. Right. But Staying in that groove of, oh my gosh, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to get a job and a supervisor and I'm going to start logging them hours and it's going to be great. And it's a smooth transition right on into LPC in my own private practice. <sighs> that is not always the situation. <laughs> I would, I want to say rarely the situation where it just magically happens the day after you graduate. Uh, but it does work out right. for some people and right, sometimes it doesn't. Right. And that doesn't make you any less qualified to become a counselor. It doesn't mean you're going to be less effective. And that was part of the journey for me that I really wrestled with and realizing that if you open yourself up to learning wherever it is that you are, no matter if you're in in between steps or if you're delayed on one step before you get to the other, if you open yourself to learning where you are in every environment, it's not going to disappoint. By the time you get to licensure or your own practice or what have you, you will have gained so many things that you won't realize. And I had to do a lot of validating the experiences that I had that mm-hmm. I didn't put a lot of merit to until right. looking back a couple of years later. Right. Oh, when I'm like, Michelle, that's valuable. <laughs> <laughs> when well, I got to slap you over the head with it. <laughs> that abs- Michelle. <laughs> you, sh- li- seriously, seriously. She looked at me and said, but you do have good experience in that. This counts. You realize that, right? That was a whole very needed conversation. That's so funny, but we, you know, um, I've I, I've had my fair share of times in the same place. Um, yep. It's funny to me because I was going to say the same. Uh, I guess along the same lines. I guess mine goes a little bit farther back. 
into undergrad and so when I think about like how little help I actually received um and the amount of things that I had to do on my own which is it's fine I mean I I got it I'm (laughs) I'm fine (laughs) but there was so little information um so little direction so so little actual help that it's, it's just really disappointing, which is again why we're here, right? Um, but I'm saying that to say, reach out for help, ask people what are things you could or should be doing to put yourself in a better position to make those next steps because a lot of the mental health fail is next steps. Um, you know, uh, I True. don't know about anybody else, but anytime I ever told somebody I was, I was majoring in psychology, it was always, oh my gosh. well, what you going to do with that? And the, the problem with that is one, that's dismissive and two, it's not helpful. Right. Yeah. And so you don't get anything from that. But if somebody would have taken the time to say, well, most people, people who major in psychology if they do if they go into the actual field they have to go to grad school right Right. I literally had one professor who told me that mind you she was amazing and I absolutely love her and I'm so (laughs) grateful that she exists Uh, (laughs) but I shouldn't have had one professor who said that right it should have been way more people who were trying to help us and say that and prepare us for grad school right and Undergrad is a a ball game all on its own, right? <laughs> because Ooh. a lot of times the students don't want to work, and I I get that. Um, but sometimes there are students who do want to work, and and I think mm. that they should be treated mm. accordingly, right? If they don't want to work, that's perfectly fine. But if they do want to work, then help them work. So, you know, if you're still in undergrad, uh, even thinking about going to finish an undergrad degree. Definitely do it. But also, you know, we, we got all this information at our fingertips, y'all. Reach out for, for information, but reach out the right way. You know, do do your own research. Look, ask people who actually have information. Don't just, just do a thread on um, Twitter making a joke about it, you know, because that's not genuine feedback that's going to mm-hmm. help you move forward. That's just people saying stuff just to say stuff, you know reach out to actual people you know take use your linkedin you know if you're listening to this podcast reach out to us we you know we'll we'll respond um (laughs) maybe in a listener question episode maybe (laughs) (laughs) that's just a joke (laughs) but you know reach out to people make make connections like we said we had a whole episode on john and organizations you know use those people to help you figure out what to do and how to move forward but don't waste your undergrad experience and i have a a hunch that way more people waste their undergrad experience Mm. and 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 be just simply because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing so if you can do stuff during undergrad even better i couldn't agree more on that yeah so um people who submitted questions thank you thank you thank you um hopefully we actually answered them if not send another question um (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but <laughs> seriously, you you really are welcome to send a follow up. If if we didn't actually answer you, that'll be perfectly fine. We are so grateful, and we hope that we helped you. Yes. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting us all the way to twenty five episodes. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and we hope that this was helpful, and we'll see you next week. Bye. to the Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at the Counseling Clinic Podcast. We'll see you guys next week for our next session. Bye guys. The music provided by scottholmesmusic.com and our show is edited and produced by Chris Luke.